Hey friends, Andy Jenkins back, bringing you the final bonus episode here about the Freedom March and the five-week group intensive that is launching November the 22nd. Now, in this bonus episode, I want to talk to you about the basis for, I believe, emotional wholeness and soul healing. Uh, This information, I was really introduced to it several years ago. Uh, I began studying the cross, and that's really the centerpiece of the Christian faith, right? Everything in the Old Testament pointed to that sacrifice. Everything in the New Testament is either looking forward to it or it is looking back at that event. It is the factor that ultimately changed the entire narrative, that changes all of history and gives us a living hope now. Here's the issue though. So often people really think of the cross as the issue that forgives our sin. Jesus died at the cross to forgive our sin. And that's true, but it is a limited perspective. Jesus died at the cross to forgive our sin and so much more. In fact, I've said it like this before and do in one of the books I've written about the cross. Jesus has been far more successful in redeeming us. That word redeeming, it it just means creating freedom. Redemption is a word that means freedom. He's been far more successful at redeeming, at freeing us than what we're often taught and certainly than what we often experience. At the cross, And at the events surrounding the cross, during that 24-hour period, he achieved something that empowers us towards radical, holistic freedom. And here's what I want to do. I want to lead you right into the audio from video number two of the Soul Wholeness video course and talk to you about the basis for emotional freedom, of soul wholeness, of the entire crux of this Freedom March uh, group coaching intensive that uh, I'm releasing. This is the foundational basis for it. I'm going to give you the audio and then I'll be back at the end with a little bit more information, links to everything, and even the outline of this talk are in the show notes. Here's the audio and why I believe total healing, especially in the world of emotional health, is possible. So back in the day, I'm going to be very honest with you. I used to think that emotional healing was kind of a cop-out. I would go to churches and speak with them and ask them, hey, how did it go? And meet with other friends of mine that were pastors, and they would be talking about events that they have. And and when they said something like, um, well, we saw some people that were emotionally healed, you know, I I would say, well, did you guys pray for other people, like physically, and were people physically healed, physically made well? I'd seen that. I'd seen people actually physically cured of cancer and seen some other miracles that I'll talk to you about in another video in this series. When they said no, but people were emotionally healed, I'll be honest, I used to think it was a cop-out. In my mind, physical healing was tangible. You could see it. It either happened or it didn't. But when you got into the world of emotional healing, that was really kind of something that was very subjective. The thing that changed it for me was actually physically walking out uh, a long road of some emotional hurt, some emotional pain. Some of it was the result of things that I had caused. Uh, Some of it was the result of things that were done to me. And 
Maybe let me pause right there and make this one little insertion about emotional hurts and pains. So many times I read bumper stickerisms on social media and they say things like, you take control of you and what other people do doesn't matter. And in some sense, let me kind of maybe more nuance that and say, yes, you have to be responsible for you and take control of you. Um, at the same time, sometimes you, you are the victim of what somebody else does. You can't live in the victim mentality, but one of the ways to move forward is to acknowledge sometimes that you were wronged. And as you learn to forgive and release and move forward, then you can move forward ahead in the area of soul wholeness with a little bit more freedom in that area. At Advance 9.0, uh, several years ago, uh, we actually had this empty session uh, that was scheduled for on a Friday evening. And so uh, we had planned to have somebody else speak, and then he had to be out because his wife was having a medical procedure done. And so we had this time, and we just thought, let's just fill it with something that we think will benefit some of the men that were attending. We had a couple hundred guys there. If you've ever been to one of our advanced events or attended one in the past, you kind of know what I'm talking about right there. And so what I thought might benefit everyone was if we talked about emotional health and healing. Again, it, I thought it was a cop-out. Then I had walked through it and realized, hey, this is actually a real area. And if I was struggling with it, I thought some of the guys there could be struggling with it. And so what I want to teach you in this video is exactly what I taught several of those guys, a couple hundred of them, at that Friday night session at Advance 9.0. Now, it all comes from this book right here that you can download absolutely free if you go to my website at jenkins.tv slash capital R. Just like on the title of the book, Redemption, you can get that entire book totally free. All right, here's, here's the first point that I taught them in that night. Redemption is a word that means freedom. Now, redemption is a Bible word. It is tossed around a lot. People that grew up in church like I did, they talk about the word redemption. So often we don't really know what some of those Bible words mean, though. And so we end up saying them, and they become familiar, and they're familiar just because we say them, but we don't really think about what's really going on under the surface. Redemption is a word that was used back then when the Bible was written in ancient slave markets. When someone went to purchase a slave and either buy them from an owner or purchase their freedom, they paid what was called a redemption price. Even today, we use the word sometimes at pawn shops. When you uh, pawn something and then you go in and then you buy it back, you pay a redemption price to reclaim the freedom of your property. Now, as it relates to Scripture, and some of you may already be making some theological connections right there, but as it relates to Scripture, there's this uh, principle of reading that I learned when I was in seminary called the Law of First Mention. And what it does is it says to really understand a theological concept, it's helpful to go back to the first time that we see it used in the Bible, the first mention, and seeing how it was used there really helps us define it and then to apply it all throughout Scripture. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, you see Jesus interacting with Peter, and Peter says, well, how many times should I forgive someone? And should I do it seven times? That was kind of the number of completion, the number of perfection. And Jesus says, no, you should forgive someone 70 times seven. Well, 
the first mention of 70 times 7 takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis, where Lamech, he said, if, if uh, there was vengeance done before between Cain and Abel, he says, I'll avenge 70 times 7. And so Jesus is calling us to look at the worst possible vengeance mentality, payback mentality that someone ever had, and said, that's the same degree to which you need to forgive. The law of first mention helps us understand that. Uh, the law of first mention helps us understand male and female relationships. Men weren't designed to crush and dominate women. When we look back and see how man and woman were interacting in the Garden of Eden, they were naked, they were unashamed, they didn't have secrets from each other. She was walking beside him. Uh, there was this complete trust. There was this complete harmony. She wasn't dominating him. He wasn't dominating her. They actually walked and lived in congruency together different but completely equal and unified. Uh, the law first mentioned tells us that the way we relate to God is not in a legalistic dominating sense. He's not out to get us because when we look back in the Garden of Eden, he walked and talked with that man and that woman. And even after they were caught in sin, they hid from him. He went searching and looking for them, which says a lot about how Jesus interacted with people dealing with hard things. And it says a lot about how he would actually interact with people caught in the middle of just crud and funk right now, even today. The law first mentioned is incredibly helpful when we want to understand this idea of redemption too, because it takes us way back to the book of Exodus and we actually see the word appear when God speaks to Moses at the burning bush and says this, he, he says, I'm the Lord, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I, here's the first use, will redeem you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So right there, you and I understand just by reading that, that God is saying to tell the children of Israel, I am going to free you from the 400 years of oppression of slavery that you've been under. In other words, in this verse, redemption means freedom from slavery. Uh, other translations of the same Bible verse uh, take out redemption, and they put in words like rescue, uh, free, um, release. Uh, the context is slaves who are in bondage are being set free. Now, you know the story. After 10 plagues, uh, the final one being the uh, angel of death and the Passover lamb uh, finally takes the firstborn of everything in Egypt and Pharaoh's son dies, and he says, you can leave, you can go. So the children of Israel leave, but then he chases them to the Red Sea. Moses raises the staff. He walks through the Red Sea. All the people go through the Red Sea. He lowers the staff. The Red Sea collapses on the entire Egyptian dynasty. And then Miriam, Moses' big sister, leads a song. And the lyrics of the song contain this line right here in Exodus 15, 13. In your unfailing love, and they're talking about God, they're singing a worship song, you will lead, so you will now lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them. Now, now notice, the first use of the word redeem, it's in Exodus 6.6, 6, and God says, I will redeem you. It's coming. It's a future event that's going to happen. The second use is a past tense. 
You have redeemed us. It has happened. The only event between these two uses of the word is the freedom from slavery. It is the exodus experience. In other words, redemption means freedom. Well, if you fast forward to the New Testament, we learn this. This is point number two. Jesus is our Redeemer. He is the one who sets us free. This was foretold at His birth, that He was going to be the Redeemer. We read that all through the Old Testament, that there is a Redeemer that is coming. And then after Jesus dies on the cross, resurrects, and ascends, Paul is meeting with the church that he leads, and he tells the elders at the church of Ephesus this. He says, keep watch over yourselves and watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, now notice the past tense, he redeemed with his own blood. Well, whose blood? Well, Jesus' blood. Well, Jesus is God. So God redeemed this church, these people, with his blood. It is a past tense because the redemption has, or as we said in the previous video, the salvation has occurred. They were saved. Notice what Peter says. Peter was arguably the lead disciple. Um, Jesus had the 12 disciples, and then he had that inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. And then Peter seems to be the one that's always kind of taking the lead. We'll come back to him uh, in another video. Uh, Peter writes this, looking back at the Jesus event, he says, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Now you think, in the ancient world, when people freed a slave, they would have paid with perishable things. They would have paid with gold. They would have paid with silver. You weren't redeemed with perishable things from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In, in other words, Peter agrees with Paul. Redemption, it happened. It's a past event. And he gives us this little snip that Paul also gives us. The redemption occurred because of the blood. In Revelation, when people are gathered around at the throne room and worship is happening, these are the lyrics of one of the songs. It says, you're worthy to take up the scroll and to open its seals. You might have read about the seals of unfolding in time in the book of Revelation. A lot of people kind of get scared and freaked out about those things. Jesus is the one in control that's opening the seal. So it's not the devil doing that and wreaking havoc. Jesus is in control at the end. So that might set your mind to ease a bit. You're worthy to open its seals. And with your blood, you redeem for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. So, so, so notice... Redemption here is a past tense event that happened. Where did it happen? It happened because of the blood. Now, when I was studying this a couple years ago, and I wrote about it all in the book that you can download absolutely free. Um, in fact, I'll put the link down below. I was noticing uh, that several authors actually agreed on, on this. And they highlighted the fact that it wasn't just the location where Jesus redeemed us, the cross, it was important that we noticed where on his body he bled because it's not just the cross that redeems. In fact, none of the authors in the Bible say that. They all say it's the blood that happened because of the cross that redeems. The blood is the significant factor. And so that leads me into the third point right here that Jesus redeems he frees, there's our word, he frees our whole self, our total being, because redemption means freedom. 
Jesus is the Redeemer, the freer, and he frees all of you. The redemption he offers isn't just a wait until you die and then you get to go to heaven type of redemption. That might have been what you were taught growing up in the church. Uh, You might have even walked the aisle or raised your hand or filled out a card or done all three because someone might have preached and said, who doesn't want to go to hell when you die? Raise your hand. And so somehow we bought like fire insurance or life insurance, or you might have, as I did when I was a little kid, you might might have even had the hell literally scared out of you and scared into heaven and pitched salvation in some sense as if it was a let's wait until we die and then it, it happens type deal. But when you look at the Bible and you look at the significance of Jesus redeeming you, me, by his blood, you get a completely different picture. Now, there are seven different places in Scripture where Jesus actually bled, and each one of those seven areas highlights something that he redeemed for you. I want to skip through five of them very quickly, but I want to land on two of them. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane there that evening after he was betrayed, he told the disciples to watch while he went farther to pray, and they were presumably going to pray but kept falling asleep. The Scripture tells us in Luke twenty-two forty-four that he prayed and sweat drops of blood. He's bleeding, redeeming something as he prays, not my will, but yours. In that moment, I believe that he redeemed our will. At that point, we can choose to make the decisions to live out the destiny God has for us. Again, if you want to learn more and dive deep, there are multiple chapters on it in that book you can download free, the Redemption book. The second area Jesus bled, we'll come back to it, is he was beaten and bruised. The soldiers came and arrested him, and he was beaten, and as he was beaten, he began bruising. The third area that he redeemed was when they took him and he was scourged on his back. They made a whip of cords and they shredded him mercilessly. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes were healed. Uh, People that study the Bible, pastors and theologians, point to this verse. In fact, you may even have friends that point to this verse and even pray, by his stripes were healed when they're praying for physical healing. Jesus bled in his body to heal the physical ailments in our body. It goes farther. After that, the soldiers mocked him and put a crown of just these huge thorns in his head, not just on his head, but they really buried it into his head. And the crown of thorns remind us of the thorns and thistles that Genesis 3 said was a curse of the fall, that after Adam sinned, that the ground would now work against him. And it wouldn't just be this stewardship and this fun labor, as sometimes we experience. It would be toil, as we often experience. Jesus redeemed our work in that moment. And then they took him to the cross, and they placed nails in his hands, freeing, redeeming the work that you do with your hands, nails and his feet, freeing, redeeming the places that you go, where you walk, where you travel, those places are blessed. And then, here's what's interesting, even after he died, they pierced his heart. Even after he died. And you say, well, what would be going on after he died? And this was, this is very interesting because I think that this one actually has to do with emotional health as well as that second one that we mentioned about being bruised. 
So let me highlight those two very quickly. Look at number two on the list. He was beaten and bruised. A bruise is a bursting of blood that happens beneath the skin. Now, though it's visible outside of the body, a bruise is something that happens beneath the skin, beneath the surface. Um, Isaiah 53, 5, the verse I just referenced a moment ago, says this, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was on him by his stripes were healed. So people look to, again, the stripes as physical healing. But, but notice this right here, because translators and Bible scholars draw out two distinctions right here, that wounds are external hurts. If I have a cut or an abrasion on my skin, that's a wound. Sometimes you've had to clean out and then bandage an open wound. Bruises are internal. They're, again, beneath the skin. Now, they're, they're visible for sure, and you know as well as I do that if you keep bumping into a bruise and you don't protect it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and festers and festers. And so often, the internal hurts that you and I have that we carry, where we have been, I mean, right there, the verse says, bruised for iniquities. It's, it's sin that causes bruises. Uh, whether we do it or, this is often the case, someone else does it to us, what I'm saying is Jesus came to free, to redeem the clutter that sometimes we carry inside because of the things we've done or the things we've experienced that weren't even our fault. He heals those internal hurts. We'll, we'll go on. At the end, number seven on the list, uh, the piercing of his heart. Uh, John's the only one that carries this uh, detail, and it he says, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Now notice, not just water, but, but blood. We, we know the human body is made up of a lot of water, but also blood. Jesus literally shed all of his blood, not, not just some, all of it. Now, I want you to notice that this detail happened after salvation was already done. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Jesus had already died for sin. He had already said, Father, forgive them. He had already declared, it is finished. The veil of the temple in the Holy of Holies was already ripped from top to bottom, showing that somehow God had now made a way for all of us to have access to come into that secret, holy, intimate place with Him. You go, well, what's going on in this one? And I think... In this passage right here, it is as simple as Jesus redeems the heart. In other words, two of these places of redemption have everything to do with the soul. In fact, look at the screen right there. If you just look at the right, the crown of thorns reverses the toil and the curse of the fall. Now your work is blessed. He sweat blood as he prayed, not my will. Now we are free to choose and do right. His back being scourged. By his stripes you're healed, physical healing, his hands, dominion and authority to do what we're designed to do is restored, uh, stewardship of creation with the work of our hands and with our feet, everywhere we go is blessed. Look at the left side right there. The bruise, as we'll discover, means guilt and shame are gone. The broken identity that we sometimes carry is no more. We can be who we're really designed to be because the internal scars that we carry, those inside hurts, those can be made whole. And then the heart, even after the payment for sins was made, 
Jesus continued bleeding, thereby redeeming the depths of the emotions of our soul. In fact, on the outset of his ministry, he actually declared this, that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to catch this, heal the brokenhearted. Do you see what I mean, what I was saying in the introduction here? It is such a radically different, broader, far more all-encompassing redemption than what you and I previously have thought. Uh, is, is the Freedom March program right for you or not? I, I don't know. Here's, here's the deal. If you complete the program, I, I believe you'll gain a knowledge of some of the greatest soul issues that face most people today, probably even facing you, if, if you've been through the grinder, uh, you'll understand PTSD, moral injury, survivor's guilt, addiction, soul ties, and more. And the bigger issue than just understanding those terms is I believe you'll acquire tools to not only understand the issues, but also know how to help yourself or others walk in freedom from each of those. So you'll You'll be able to articulate the difference between the soul and the spirit. You'll recognize how these two vital parts of each of us, they work together to empower us to interact with our Heavenly Father, to serve others, to make a positive impact in the world by living our purpose. And that's really one of the big issues here is we want to move past the pain and into the purpose. Uh, I, I believe you'll have a biblical framework at the conclusion of the program that intersects at the crossover of biblical truth, of psychology, and practical living. And I really think that sweet spot will encourage, equip, and empower people, including me and including you, to experience freedom and wholeness now amidst the beautiful grind of everyday life. And that, that's a phrase I keep coming up to. His life is beautiful. It is also, man, it's hard. It is a grind. So, you know, whether you are looking for soul health, seeking a solution for yourself, um, and it's an it's an ongoing process, I assure you, just like physical health is, or if you're looking to utilize this resource to help others, I certainly welcome you to this program. Uh, I would love for you to join all of the links, all of the information there in the show notes. Let me uh, let me sign off the bonus episode with the Freedom March Manifesto that is in the book. And uh, I think right there, page 17, that is a great way to end this. I'll be back in the next episode. Uh, I, I guess that'll be the next coming Wednesday when I typically release episodes. And uh, I think we'll get extremely practical that point about really planning and looking towards the new year and the future and just um, scheduling the daily grind. So we're going to go from emotional health and soul wholeness and then also realize we got we got to schedule this stuff. Like we 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 got to be emotionally whole, but we also we got to schedule the carpool and school and work and all of the other things. We got to get the mail, we got to pay the bills and cut the grass. You, you get it. All right. The Freedom March Manifesto. This will be the closing prayer. I'm designed by God for a unique purpose, something He ordained for me to do before time began. He knew me in my mother's womb, and He set me aside from birth. Now, all these verses are highlighted. There's over 25 referenced in the manifesto. I'll continue. 
I cannot rewrite my past, nor can I control every facet of the future, but I know God's purposes stand. And He doesn't take back the gifts or calling He originally placed upon me. I may grieve at times, but I do so with hope. I know the plans the Lord has for me are all immensely good, and I trust Him to order my steps as I know He delights in me. I can choose to heal from the past, hope for the future, live whole in the present. I don't live under condemnation. I am chosen, holy, and beloved. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to offer life overflowing. I choose to do everything I do is unto the Lord, trusting the author and finisher of my faith to complete the good work he began in me so that I might fulfill my days and the plans for which I was created. Though all things are not good, they can all work together for the good. Though everything isn't beautiful, he makes everything beautiful in its time. Though the enemy has stolen, he redeems, resurrects, and renews all things. He restores my soul. My spirit remains connected with His, and my life will abound as my soul prospers. I will continue working out what God is working in me, anticipating Him to do as He promises, something grander than anything I can ask, think, or imagine, as He said we will do even greater works than He did. This is my Freedom March Manifesto. Grace, peace, I'll see you again soon.